Bhaktivedanta Swami many times said that his purports are his transcendental ecstasies. And the significance of that is he reveals in his purports sometimes what his revelation is is more of trying to convey a transcendental emotion to the reader as much as to convey a spiritual instruction. Generally, the purports are there and they're so advanced, Bhaktivedanta Swami could incorporate both the logic and reasoning of of the Vedic scripture and he could also convey a deeper inner transcendental emotional explanation. What we were just reading, the same point is there. There are different planes and our plane of existence in material life is a plane of exploitation. It's a plane where our approach to the Supreme can be there, but generally it's in a mercantile mode. And we've discussed this many times. We want something, and when we're in need, we go to God. If we can get it without going to God, we'll avoid God. And that's, that's a different approach, is it not? That when you go and say, give me this, give me that, or if we can start to develop a service attitude, then that's a much higher plane of relationship with the Supreme. We're not going to decry those devotees of the Lord who approach him in a mercantile mood. Because at least they're approaching God. And that's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a deeper relationship that can be developed with the Lord that is one that expresses a much higher loving sentiment. There's certainly some love there, but it's hard to find. Bhakti and I were at the marketplace today the world of goods. And there was a young girl in a buggy in front of us, screaming her head out because she couldn't get some bows for her hair. I think that's what she was saying. It was hard to follow. Is that it? Something like that. She wouldn't stop. Everybody in the stores that could hear and everybody who was around within a pretty big distance. There's no way you could miss it. I want my, I want my, I want, I want. The father's there and you could see his face. He's picking the stuff out of the buggy and his face. Of, and the mother's there and her face is like, I want, I want, give me, give me. And crying the whole time. And just, just, you just, I, 
I wanted to go buy, what the hell's the girl want? Let me go buy it and give it to her, please. And Bhakti says as we're leaving the store, I can see her mother. I don't think that's going to be her mood when she gets in the car. I mean, it's, it's your daughter. You still have some, some, um, some sentiment, some loving sentiment for her, but wow. Is it hard? Is it hard to really experience the love of the daughter when she's crying and screaming in your face, I want, I want, gimme, gimme, gimme. I'm sure if the daughter would have asked nicely, she probably could have got a lot further. At least if we're going to ask, let's ask nicely. That's a lot better position than screaming our heads off. And there, there's a lot of, there, of people, they believe in God, but boy, they just become so angry with him when they don't get what they want. My mother was one of those people. She couldn't understand God. When her husband was taking it from her at a young age, my father died when I was six months old. My mother was probably 21, maybe 22. So her husband was taken from her at that young age, and that was it. She threw the keys to the church away. I'm not going back to church. She was a church-going person. She had a relationship with God. Uh, I don't know that relationship. I hadn't been born yet, but I know it was there. It did come back to her later, but it took over a decade. Church going came again when, when I was over 10 years old. But for 10 years to close the door on your relationship with God, because why? Because of some material circumstance, which what? Which probably came about due to this material nature, and how do these things come about in material nature? For Lord Maharaj in the Srimad Bhagavatam, he explains that if there is anything, if there is anything coming to me from this plane of material existence, anything that is coming from this plane is due to my own activity. Everything material is coming as a result, as an action in response to an action that we have performed. I don't know what my mother's action was in her prior lives that someone that she loved and had all her emotions tied up in was taken for her a young life, but it wasn't due to the vindictiveness of the Supreme Lord, I can tell you that much. And Krishna, as long as we can always understand, he is our dear most friend. Anything that's coming from us. The Bhagavat teaches one important lesson. It's the following. Anyone who thinks that another living entity is the cause of their misfortune is in the greatest illusion. You understand that? Anyone that thinks another living entity, and that includes the Supreme, is the cause of their misfortune is in the greatest illusion. Everything that is coming from us on this plane 
is coming as a reaction for some activity that we've done. That action can come from different sources, adiatmic, adibaltic, adidaivic. Our mind and senses can give us a hard time. Another living entity can appear to be the source of our distress. You know, when the dog bites you, it's like, well, so it's the dog. It's, we seldom think that we ever bit the dog, but <laughs> unfortunately, material nature is like that. That's our illusion. And higher authority, the wind, the rain, the fire, all these things are there. Sambanda means that we take the instruction from the great saints and sages and we learn about these inner relationships. Our inner relationships with this environment and our inner relationships with the higher plane and that environment. And that we gradually come to a full consciousness of that higher plane, which is the true plane of pleasure. And that's all any living entity is desirous of, is pleasure. And we're just looking for all that pleasure in all the wrong places. And Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, and all the great saints and gurus, they're all here to show us you want pleasure? Let me show you what your true fulfillment is in pleasure. That's what Krishna consciousness is. It's learning about the true fulfillment of true pleasure, not the pleasures of an illusory existence. So should we chant Saksastika? Yes, ma'am. Um. Three things. First thing is when you said ask in a nice way, that that's like sacrifice. So people who do, you know, fire yagya or burn corn to the lotus, that's asking God initially. <clears throat> the other thing was Oh yeah. Your mother, even though she was angry at God, she still considered him a person. You know, and that that personhood, because you don't get angry at a blob of energy. You don't get angry at a dark force, you know. You know, she considered him a person. She was really angry at him. So that was through her favor that she still considered him a person. And the third thing is, um, you had mentioned that we can't blame another living entity for our mishaps that happen to us. But um, what about our graces? The graces that come to us are due to There are two, two kinds. Well. There are two kinds. Uh, there's, of course, sakriti, which is normal, pious result for pious activity. Just as bad comes due to misdeeds on our part, good comes come from good deeds. So there's those reactions that are bad or those reactions that are good. 
if I'm charitably disposed in my life, my next life, I'll probably get charity in my life. People will I'll be well-to-do. If I'm miserly in my life, then next life, I'll probably continue in that same vein, and people will steal from me. If I steal from people, it's going to come back. So there's reaction on the material plane, which is both good and bad. A true transcendentalist, a spiritualist, doesn't care a hoot or a holler for each one, either one of them. Neither one of them are of any interest to them. If good comes, fine. If bad comes, fine. It's independent of my real self on the material plane because I can't take any of it with me and I'm not going to suffer forever even if I'm a quadriplegic. Eventually this body will die and I'll have another body. So a spiritualist knows these things and can deal with life both good and bad. There is another level of reaction which is not even of the material plane which is good for us. Sometimes it even appears to be bad for us but it's good for us. And that's transcendental directive or mercy as you were saying what if something comes to us. A lot of what the good that comes to us in the material world from is from our piety our good activities at a prior time. But there is also a level of good that can come to us which is from the transcendental planes. And that transcendental good comes by the mercy of the Supreme Lord. Krishna is so kind. If we know what the message of Bhagavad Gita is, Krishna's God, did he really need to have a big battle to wipe out the vicious rulers? He could have had a plague. He could have done so many things. He could have simply desired it and they all would have dropped dead. But he let Arjuna fight under his direction. For what reason? In order to glorify Arjuna. Krishna is so kind to his devotees that he wants to give them all the credit, even though he's truly the doer. Specifically, he's very much in that mood when it comes to delivering people from the material world. He may come himself, but the people that really do the delivering are his devotees. That mercy, that level of mercy is a different kind of benediction that is not coming from any activity that we have performed on the material plane. Namam karmani limpanti name karma phales brihat itimam yo bijanati karma beer nasabajati there's no work that implicates me. I have no desire for the fruits of action. One who understands me thus is not bound by reactions to work.
I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened the eyes with the torchlight of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. It's quite a benediction in this verse coming from Krishna directly. One who understands me thus is not bound by the reactions to work. Krishna doesn't even say we have to be on the platform that he's on. He simply explains if we understand his transcendental platform in relationships with the material world, that in and of itself is sufficient for us to become free from fruitive activity. One who understands me thus is not bound by the reactions to work. Next verse. Having known this, ancient seekers of transcendence also performed action. Therefore, now you should also act as the ancients did. Krishna begins by saying, I have no work on this material plane that binds me. But we know that in the ultimate issue, the whole material manifestation is coming about by the activity of the Supreme. And although Bhagavad Gita doesn't give the details that are available in the Bhagavad, Krishna does give us indications throughout the Gita that the whole material energy is working and has come about due to his superintendence. One verse, Maya Dakshena Prakriti. This material nature is working under my direction, producing all moving and unmoving living entities. He also says in Bhagavad Gita, if I was to cease my work, this whole world would end in ruination. You remember that verse? That's also, he mentions in Bhagavad Gita. So even the Supreme has work that he effectuates on this material plane of existence that we're at. He does that primarily through his manifestations as the Purusha avatars. The Purusha avatars are three. First, there's Karna Dakshai Vishnu, the Lord in one of his manifestations of Vishnu, lies down in the causal ocean, and all the universes come forth from the pores of his body or from his breathing. Both things are mentioned there in the Vedas. Well, truly, on the, from the absolute plane, whatever is God, everything is coming from him. So the material universes come, and they reside there. In the Bhagavat, we find out that the material universes basically come forth from the body of the Supreme Purusha, and they lie dormant on the causal ocean for a period of 1,000 years. I just read this in the Bhagavat. Of course, there is no purport there to explain whose measurement of time that was. <laughs> so as we know, time is measured differently according to the position of the living entity. There are some insects that only live for a few minutes. 
some that only live for a day. But that's their whole lifetime. So their whole hundred year life is just a few moments in our lifetime. Similarly, in the lifetime of higher living entities, the demigods, our hundred years is not even a fraction of their day. Brahma's lifetime, who's the engineer of a particular universe, his lifetime is very long. But the point is there. The universe is there for a thousand years. And then the Lord, in another manifestation of himself as Garbodakshai Vishnu, he lies down and he, well, he enters into each of those individual shells. And from him, first of all, his transcendental perspiration fills half of that shell, that universal shell. And he lies down on that, on his most intimate servant, Baladev, in his manifestation of Sesha. And lying on that water within the one universe, as Garbodakshai Vishnu, a lotus flower springs from his abdomen. Everyone is nourished by that cord. We were all nourished in the womb of our mother by that cord to our abdomen. So from that cord, that cord, a gorgeous lotus flower blooms. And that in, that, in the stem of that lotus and in that lotus flower that, and that blooms, and when it blooms, it's, it's brighter. It mentions in the Bhagavad than thousands of suns. And the first created being, Brahma, he takes birth on that lotus flower. All the living entities are there in seedling form within the stem of that lotus. And Brahma manifests the universe. And the Lord again enters into each individual body that we as living entities assume based on our desires carried forth from the prior creation, he enters into each body with every living entity again. Karnadakshai Vishnu, Garbadakshai Vishnu, Kashiradakshai Vishnu, that third manifestation of the Lord within the material manifestation commonly known as the Lord in the heart. When we're in this material plane of consciousness, <coughs> we're not able to perceive the existence of these manifestations of the Supreme Lord. Even Brahma, when he was born from Garbhadakshai Vishnu, from that stem of the lotus, he couldn't perceive where he came from. He didn't know. So therefore, at that stage, the Veda explained that he heard a transcendental vibration, tapa. Tapa. Tapa means perform some austerity. He took that to mean he should meditate on his existence. Well, what would you meditate upon if you were 
there on the top of a lotus flower and you couldn't didn't know where you came from what brought you to that position you'd begin the inquiry that distinguishes the human form of life from those that don't have advanced intelligence who am i where did i come from what brought me here what's the source of my existence Though that is the beginning of Vedic knowledge. Vedic knowledge begins when we ask these questions. What brought me here? Where did I come from? What is my purpose? Brahma meditated for an extended amount of time. And he didn't meditate externally. He didn't go out to find knowledge. He went within. His meditation brought him to the proper conclusion. Because he performed that meditation and followed that simple instruction, Tapa, withdraw yourself and look inward to find out who you really are. Because he followed that instruction, eventually the Lord became manifest to him. And when... He saw Vishnu, the source of his birth, Garbhodakshai Vishnu. Vishnu also revealed everything to him as far as his spiritual existence. You can read the exactly what Lord Brahma saw and experienced today. There's a book right up there on the shelf called Brahma Samhita. And you can read Brahma's prayers. Every prayer ends. Govinda Mari Purusham Tamaham Bajami Chintamani Prakarasad Basu Kalpavriksha. I mean, they're gorgeous prayers. Just gorgeous. In these prayers, he reveals the form that he, of the Lord that he saw. Exactly what he looks like. And he revealed the nature of that transcendental realm, Chintamani Dham, where everything is touchstone. Take some time. You'll see dispersed throughout all the Bhaktivedanta purports and all the purports of the great Acharyas. You'll, they'll always quote from Brahma's prayers regarding spiritual existence, regarding the Supreme Lord, regarding the revelation of experiencing the form of the Lord, once you look inward, what that transcendental realm is like is also revealed there. The point being, once Brahma saw what his source was and understood why he had that form what did he do? He performed activities on the material plane under the direction of the Supreme Lord. So Brahma is sometimes referred to as self-born, being that he was born from that Supreme Self without the aid of any female form. And when we hear these fantastic and wonderful 
descriptions in the Vedas, in the scripture of creation and of Vishnu and of manifestations of Vishnu, it's important for us to understand that what is being revealed to us is being revealed and the knowledge is not based on some material experience. We're actually able to have experience even though our consciousness is, is not fully developed spiritually, we are allowed to enter into the knowledge of the realizations through the divine media of the spiritual master, both the present spiritual master and the Purva Acharyas, those spiritual masters that have come before and have left us these great literatures. So even Krishna has his work. He creates this material universe to fulfill our desire. But what? He's not bound. He doesn't try to enjoy the fruits of his work. And if we can simply understand that, we won't be bound by the fruits of our work. And what's he telling Arjuna here? Having known this, that I'm not bound by work, that even the first created being worked to make the material manifestation under my direction, he was also not bound by his work. Brahma is, our, is one of our Purva Acharyas. Prior, Purva means prior. Acharyas mean one who teaches by example. So Brahma is teach, taught also this same lesson. We, we are in a we were in a disciplic succession of student learning from master who learned from a master who learned from a master. And guess what? If we go back, we're in a sampradaya, in a family. We're in a spiritual family when we study. And our family originated with Brahma. Our sampradaya our heritage of spiritual learning originates with Brahma. We're in the Brahma Sampradaya. He's the head of our learning, the creator of the universe. There are four Sampradayas. I'll get into those details later. But our Sampradaya is Brahma Sampradaya. Specifically, Madhva. Sampradaya, Gaudiyama, coming in in the specific line of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with directives to worship Radha Krishna. Radha Krishna being our objective in this Sampradaya is the service of Radha Krishna. There are other Sampradayas, there are other worshippers of Krishna. Sometimes people are enthralled by Sita Ram. And they that's that is their objective is let me serve Sita Ram. The Goswamis are instructing us, you worship Radha Krishna. That is your objective. That isn't to say that your heart may be drawn as you come into a come into the realization of your spiritual position may be drawn somewhere else. 
But the Sampradaya we're practicing is, is the Brahma Sampradaya, coming from Lord Brahma, and then coming specifically under the toolage of the Goswamis, who are the direct disciples of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who was here 500 years ago. Having known this, ancient seekers of transcendence also perform action. Therefore, you should also act as the ancients did. He's trying to encourage Arjuna here. You should also act. You're on a battlefield. Don't retire from action. Just act, but don't be attached to the fruits. I, I create the whole material arrangement. Triparari's purple. He brings out the point of Baladev Vijabhushan. Baladev Vijabhushan is also in our Sampradaya. He is coming after the Goswamis. I believe he is the direct disciple of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. The analogy is a wonderful analogy that the rains give life to the vegetation, but we don't see the rain eating the vegetables. It's a nice way to, to look at the way things work. That you can work in this world, but you don't have to have the fruits of your labor. You don't have to be tied up in the fruits. The rain's coming and nourishing the vegetables, but the rain isn't down there trying to eat a vegetable. Even learned persons are confused as to what constitutes action and what constitutes inaction. I will now explain action, understanding which you shall be freed from evil. So we'll continue next week since it's already late with text 17 and Krishna's explanation as to what constitutes action and what constitutes inaction on the material plane. I wanted to mention one thing. I want to thank you so much for your kind words and let it be known that in the discharge of our service to the Supreme and specifically in Krishna Katha, this discourse of transcendental subject matters, in this discourse, what I am able to, to give is as much dependent on your abilities and your desires to learn, if not even more so, than any qualification that I have myself. That's the nature of transcendental exchange. Uh, I benefit more immensely than you just in having your association and being able to discuss uh, Bhagavad Gita. So my thanks are to you. You are my saving grace. So thank you. And thank you for your kind words. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I'll let you know. I <laughs> Hare Krishna. I'm here, I'm here.